0: This is going to be a, a Blackout Tuesday Q&A. Um, again, as you may have probably already noticed on Instagram and other social media, if you follow it certain ways, um, a lot of people have been bo- have been uh, posting um, black squares on Instagram, um, either maybe going silent for the day, but also to raise awareness for Black Lives Matter. Um, and we know why. the We all know why Black Lives Matter has... Has been prominent in the last few days or so. Um, some horrific murders by the by the United States police. Um, you know, riots, protests ac- across the US um, in the last few days, and obviously the, the news courage has been abhorrent. And again, like watching from from across the pond in the, in the UK has just been. Utterly terrifying, to say the least. And while a lot of people have gone silent for the day, we, we, me and Ryan, the two obviously black hosts of, of M101, felt like it was a, it was a great opportunity uh, to address um, some concerns, some questions, um, and some observations regarding race relations in motorsport. And because motorsport is not immune from this, we we both have experienced. Many, many, like pieces of media treatment, pers- you know, on- online, offline. We've had experiences of this. We're not naive to this, and we felt like this was a good opportunity to break down some barriers, to to talk about it at length and in detail, to you know, educate, to inform, you know, to give perspective and to try and make it a little bit easier for everybody to understand, to come to terms with and, to how, and for how we can help. So, hi, I'm Dre. He's Ryan. <laughs> um, <laughs> thanks thanks for coming in. Um, much appreciated. Again, we've already got 40 people in here. I think it's the most we've ever had for a, for a live stream on this channel, which is insane. So thank you all so much for coming. Um, much, much appreciated. If you want to get... If you, want your, if you have a question or, or a concern or a comment that you want us to talk about or address, Motorsport gets first priority, but of course we can always drift a little bit further away from that as well if it helps. Um, feel free to DM either of us um, on Twitter. Our, our uh, usernames are on the screen right now. Um, at Harrison One Hundred One HD for me. At Ryan Eric King for Ryan. Um, Ryan's the popular one today. He's had all the questions so far. Um, but again, if you if you have any any questions or or, or anything like that, or any questions comments at all, um, you can DM us on there. And don't worry, we are going to do this anonymously. Um, no names will be will be read out for any of these questions and and whatnot. Um, so if don't be afraid if you have questions queries concerns anything of the like like this is a safe space to talk about it in the open and hopefully we'll come away from this a little bit more comfortable and a little bit more informed and educated about the situation and maybe what we maybe for the greater good compared to what it was before you were here okay um so i I think
1: i think Mm. we in all fairness we should say how we got to this point it, I th- of course I think we shouldn't assume that people just know and of course this, well, this all started you know eight days ago now, which feels surreal that it was only eight days ago eight days man. that <laughs> tragically on on the streets of Minneapolis, Minnesota here in the US, uh, George Floyd tragically lost his life after after pretty much being murdered by a police officer. He was mm-hmm. uh he was trying to make a purchase at a store. His uh it was believed that a twenty dollar bill that he was using to make the purchase was a counterfeit. They called the police and through a struggle he ended up uh well, not even a struggle. He wasn't really resisting. Uh the police uh, four police officers, you know, came to came on the call. He they pinned him to the ground, and one police officer put his knee on his throat, well on his neck, for nine minutes. And obviously, not being able to breathe for nine minutes, he died. Yeah, and almost Please. almost immediately, once. Like, thankfully, this was caught on video. So there was no denying that this happened. Mm-hmm. And almost immediately, there were protests on the streets of Minneapolis. And by the next day, the protests were so large uh, that it became the biggest story in the country. And then the next night, it spread to other cities. And then the next night, even more cities to the fact that, you know, over 40 American cities have had wide-scale protests due to this incident and not even only just this incident it was just a spark that after you know years of notable events of police brutality that the public are just fed up including myself oh god yeah uh and oh obviously because of how notable and how widespread this is. Everyone has, well, I wouldn't say everyone, most responsible people have at least made a comment on the situation. And that Mm. brings us to our neck of the woods, Trey Motorsport.
0: Yes. um, What's the best way of going from the top here? It's, there's certainly I mean well let, let's let's not be around the bush here Lewis Hamilton is you know the, the biggest name we've got in Motorsport and he was very quick to make the point that black lives matter he used the, the hashtag Black Lives Matter. A few days ago, now talking about the situation, and he doubled down on that um, in a positive way. I don't know that, that phrase is normally used negatively, um, but on Instagram, and he, he it went one stage further. He went on Instagram and he on on the story function of of that page, he put out a, a lengthy statement, uh, essentially a call to action that there had been virtually radio silence from from his from his side of the industry, um, not from people not talking about Black like, Lives Matter, about what had been happening in the United States, um, and it's really only been in the last forty eight hours or so that that other drivers and some of the teams and in, in, in the last hour and a half the sport itself puts out a statement regarding. Well, I want to say regarding Black Lives Matter and regarding what happened in the United States, but unfortunately with a lot of these big brands, that the the message has already been somewhat diluted. It's been is it fair to say, King, pretty generic in, in 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 their responses, like seem to be like almost tiptoeing around why as you mentioned King, why we've gotten to this point in the first place.
1: Yeah, um, it, it feels like it feels like there's a certain degree of doing the bare minimum just to say you did it in case anyone says that you're not you're not right. you know, for it.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So. That's been that's. that is essentially what encouraged us to get to this point Uh, unfortunately again there's no easy way of talking about this either but I one very prominent member of the F1 community was almost combative, I won't say almost, he was combative regarding this at the time and it was you know, journalist, lead presenter for the F1 YouTube channel on their media, Will Buxton um Will Buxton directly responded to this quote that Hamilton put out. I mean, I'll read it out because I still have it on my phone in front of me. This, here was Hamilton's initial comment at the time. I think there was a, this, was, this was three days ago now. He said, and I quote, I see those of you who are staying silent. Some of you the biggest stars, yet you stay silent in the midst of injustice. Not a sign from anybody in my industry, which of course is a white-dominated sport. I'm one of the only people of colour there, yet I stand alone. I would have thought by now that you would see why this happens and say something about it, but you can't stand alongside us. Just know I know who you are and I see you. Now, Will Buxton quoted this on his Instagram story and added the following. Quote, no sign from anyone in your industry? Look again, known you a decade and a half. Open your eyes. We see. We feel. Don't cast us out. Now, this accelerated a lot of the conversation amongst people in Formula 1 regarding regarding this, and it, pff, there's no beating around the bush here for me. Buxton handled that horrifically, and he could not have handled that any worse if he tried, as far as I was concerned, because he would then snap at people on twitter that was trying to steer him in the right direction in the sense of buxton and the way he wrote his comment very much made it about him yeah and this is specifically not about him and it it you as far as i'm concerned you shouldn't n- be trying to seek out validation from Lewis or from anyone as to why you support them. You should just do it. Cause I I I believe it's the right thing to do. Like, I, I don't understand why you would feel the need to tag Lewis on your own Instagram page and basically say, no no look, me, me, I did it. I supported it. I put one of the tamer martin luther king quotes on instagram you know
1: <laughs> yeah that's what i did that is the exact opposite thing you should be doing like mm. pretty much you're not supposed to make this about yourself if like lewis is making a comment about the general state of motorsport in general which like reading reading what he said he's completely right and yeah like will if you're doing if you're doing what you're said you're doing you shouldn't have felt offended because because if you know you're putting in that effort to support him you know the kind of opposition that's out there
0: right I'm sh- like I'm sh- like, again look he is a massive part of formula one on social media surely he's read and seen and heard a lot of what goes down in this space because I've been prominent on YouTube and within Formula One on social media since 2011. And I've seen it... Like I personally have suffered racist abuse from people in emails, in direct messages... In you know anonymously on places like Ask FM and Curious Cat, <laughs> this is very much a real thing. And to get to me and my very public support of Sebastian Vettel, they've described him with xenophobic abuse. You can you can probably guess which term we're talking about here, given his nationality. Same for him. Same for Nico Rosberg. Um, f- so surely, if you're someone like Will Buxton, you've seen similar. You're in an even higher plane of, of existence within this space than people like me. He's only got a couple of thousand Twitter followers and a couple of thousand YouTube subscribers. You know we're not, we' not we don't have like massive massive scope compared to someone like him. you know so
1: but like but, just just the fact that that we, not big people in this space face abuse just shows the magnitude of abuse that Lewis must face.
0: Right, you, you you saw a drop in the bucket. Like, could you imagine if if you were Lewis Hamilton and you had, you know, you could see into your DMs or you or you had places where people could send you shit anonymously? Well, you can on Twitter technically. You don't have to put your name on anything. But I've seen tweets directed at Lewis. I've seen messages directed at Lewis that that make no bones that they're racist, no bones whatsoever. You know, and with that in mind, the last thing you should be doing is you know, making this about yourself, like as, as guys in the chat are quite rightly putting out like Hayley, hi Hayley, nice to see you you're not entitled to anything for doing the bare minimum, you shouldn't be doing this to try and get some sort of internet gold star you know like it's it 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 diverts from the whole reason why Lewis has done this in the first place you know, and that has accelerated a lot of the conversation, and it, I think Charles Leclerc was the first was the first driver other than Lewis that posted about Black Lives Matter and openly admitted that he didn't quite know how to handle this. And it I mentioned it on Twitter at the time that it, it almost feels. I don't want to say tainted, but it doesn't feel as genuine because Lewis was the only one to speak out for a good 24 hours about this. And then everybody else seemed to follow suit. And it just, it almost feels like Hamilton accidentally guilt tripped everybody else into saying something. I know a lot of people were very quick on Twitter to say, Oh, you know, what, what, like, what else? Like, you know, like, well, these well, drivers might not be able to talk about it because it might not say so in their contracts. But clearly that doesn't apply given how the last 36 hours have gone where drivers have lined up now with similar quotes like Nicolas Latifi and Daniel Ricciardo and Charles and both Leclerc brothers, in all fairness, um, etc. So, you know, it's only late, like Mercedes put out a statement yesterday Formula One itself put out a statement again about two hours ago now. And it it it's we should take it with good grace, but unfortunately, I think because Lewis was so far ahead of the pack, it, it makes everybody else almost seem disingenuous. And that that's a bitter pill to Swatter. that I even have to have that thought process, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and And it feels like there was a certain air of kind of living in another world when it came to Mm. motorsports response in general, where there was a big disconnect to their Monday morning, or well, their Tuesday morning and everyone else's Tuesday morning, when the rest of the world is still kind of reeling and in shock to like just this magnitude of what what has happened in the past week while well, right formula one and to a lesser dis- extent indycar they're focused on their seasons coming back finally indycar has their yeah. race this weekend uh mm-hmm. formula one revealed their calendar they didn't even, Formula one didn't even consider delaying the re- re- reveal of their calendar they they just didn't they fired regardless. that up this
0: morning yeah they they, they fired that up this morning IndyCar's cars in full race week mode, and it's doubly sad because like is cars, based in the United States, I've only seen one of their drivers speak up, and that was Joseph Newgarden. Yeah, which which is disappointing, given that it's one thing that you know that a sport mostly based in Europe has taken this long to respond, but it's happening in the United States right now. That's the epicenter of this, and the majority of the field or these certainly the guys that are most prominent in the series are American. They've had a, a, the series has had a resurgence of American talent in the last half decade or so. And as as Zoe Hamilton, friend of the show and obviously co-host of the show pointed out in the chat just now, it was fascinating that it was the wives and the girlfriends of said, um, of said IndyCar drivers that again, were responding first on this. And I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with you, King. It very much felt like the sport exists in a bubble compared to the rest of the world. Uh, like like you said, there was no delay on F1s. If you didn't know any better, it was business as usual until about 48 hours ago. Um, And again, like when even bigger names like PlayStation are delaying what would be normally a very big deal for them, their PS5 is launching in this winter with they're they're revealing their first set of games for it that was meant to be yesterday they've pushed it back a week now because they didn't feel like it was appropriate soon
1: and in true motorsport 101 fashion we have breaking news we have uh, a statement from indianapolis motor speedway and indycar
0: Yeah, uh, I'll quickly read this out. Uh, Thanks for that, King. Uh, IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway are deeply saddened by the tragic events and violence that have taken place in our country over recent weeks. Our hearts break for everyone that has been affected, most especially the family and friends of George Floyd. As a country, there is much work to be done. And in our industry, there is more progress to be made in breaking down barriers and contributing toward a more inclusive and compassionate society. Now is the time to listen, learn, reflect and stand firmly but peacefully against great racism and prejudice. It is our most sincere hope that out of this difficult and sad time comes new and stronger resolve to make positive change and build lasting bridges both in our sports world and across our nation. Because it wouldn't be an episode of m One without something getting in the way. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs>
1: I think this is probably one of the better statements but it's still deeply flawed like yes i'm I'm that's
0: sad that this is one of the better ones and it's still got problems yeah like
1: i'm i'm happy that they that they opened up with mentioning george floyd but
0: a lot of sport a lot of a lot of big brands haven't even done that
1: yeah yeah (laughs) though i'm disappointed like they mention you know racism and prejudice but they never mention the police
0: that's been my biggest problem with a lot of these like okay we're both sports junkies me and you you know we we both follow a ton of series like that's been one of the most overarching patterns in a lot of these statements that you know that we've seen is that they like as as mentioned some of them don't even mention George Floyd by name you know uh, like and that's bad enough like no like it's it's doubly disappointing when when barely anybody has mentioned why George Floyd died and he died at the hands of reckless law enforcement he died at the hands of the police
1: and like um, and we're not trying to like play this off as like you you have to mention everything that's happened but like if you if you say that you want the country to get better or work to be or mention that there's work to be done if you don't mention what the problem is no one's gonna know what problem they're trying to solve
0: right like you need to cut to yeah you need need to cut to the important parts and say look because that's the thing all these, a lot of these statements, about 90% of them share the same theme. We've got to do better. You know, we've got to, we've got to be anti-racist. Systemic racism has been mentioned a lot more in these, but no one's mentioning how we're going to fix it. No one's mentioned what are we going to do as an entity to try and improve that situation. A lot of it is just, and I don't like using this term loosely because it has come up a lot, it seems very, quote, thoughts and prayers. And... I'm sure a lot of you know what I mean when I say the term thoughts and prayers because that has come up a lot where people will say that, but then nothing ever really gets done and then the cycle repeats itself over and over again. Um, uh, It's like, shout out to the Washington Wizards who are going through a a, a bad day in their own right because Wes Unsell sadly passed away today as well. So rest in peace to him. Um, But uh, they're one of the very few But in their United statement from their players, they said, and I quote, we will no longer tolerate the assassination of people, the assassination of people of color in this country. The second sentence, and this is a key one, we will no longer accept the abuse of power from law enforcement.
1: Yeah, because that's one of the things that, like, say what you will about the Wizards and their on-court, you know, performance or lack thereof, that's in their team's culture. Like, The team used to not be called the Washington Wizards. They used to play in Baltimore and be called the Baltimore Bullets. And they changed their name realizing why that was not appropriate. Right.
0: We will no longer accept ineffective government leaders who are tone deaf, lack compassion, or respect for communities of color. We will no longer shut up and dribble. That was one of the best statements that I've seen regarding this because it directly addressed the root of the problem reckless law enforcement and most of most places have not mentioned that I'd say about 90% of them have not mentioned that and 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 and, again IMS is one that just came out in the last 10-15 minutes was one of the better ones and it was still very problematic because it's still very wishy-washy of how we got to this point, the issues this country has, and what are they going to do to potentially improve it? Because these big corporations and brands, they're the ones that could potentially make a massive difference. They have the the resource. Part of me
1: believes that, uh, because one of the big actions taken at the start of this whole situation was in from Minneapolis itself from the big yeah. division 1 college football team in the city the university of minnesota and they yeah. they said that they won't use the the Minneapolis police department for security anymore and most sports massive. teams including uh including indycar they use off duty cops for their track security yeah
0: that's and that's massive, because it it's it says a statement in itself that they do not trust the police to keep everybody safe at their games. That's a huge statement from a massive institution like like the University of Minnesota to do something like that. I saw Anthony Barr, who plays for the Minnesota Vikings NFL team, tweet that we've had a meeting with the owners, and one of my friends who retweeted them and said. Stop inviting the police to, to to provide security at your games if you if you want to make a statement. So this has come up; it has absolutely come up in that sense. But man,
1: I, I think we should go to our first question far um, away. Okay, so our first question it was our first question was in response to the thread I put out on Twitter about how i felt going to races and a very uh and a very specific incident that happened to me during one race weekend last year uh and the question i got in response to that is what can people well specifically what can white people do to help uh black fans at races who when when they see you know black fans being you know discriminated against you know in person and I think we could, you know, expand the breadth of this question where, like, people in color in general, whether in person or online. Right. Uh, <laughs> so, I would say in person, in in my specific situation, it was me being stopped by security constantly. And right. And other people being able to walk past, like, you know, it's not, like, not a problem. They walk past. They don't have to get stopped. In, right. in that situation if if i was a white person in that situation and i felt comfortable enough to get involved like if i'm getting my ticket or credential checked i would i would you know stop and act like i'm supposed to get my credential checked too like
0: yeah it like be... aren't you gonna check me basically
1: yeah because Let's let's be real here. If if everyone had to get checked constantly, it'd be impossible to host an event like this.
0: Yeah, you'd be you'd be checking thousands of people ten times over. That's not possible for a, a relatively small security team to be able to do that. Um so yeah, like that's actually a very a very clever way of working around the problem, is that you're you as, as someone that that's white will diffuse the situation essentially by making it make, well maybe basically as a mental trigger in the, in the security person's head that yeah, maybe I should be checking everybody that I without even realizing target someone of, of, of an ethnic minority. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. It, it's, it's a way to kind of call someone out without being aggressive about it or making it into a big conflict.
0: Yeah that's it's a, it's, it's, that's very useful because I, I can't speak for you because I I've only ever really been to two motorsport events in my life and I've not experienced what you have had. Um, again I've been to a couple of the British superbike race, races races and a brand's hatch in the UK and I'm I, 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 I have to assume I'm now one of the lucky ones that haven't I either haven't noticed it or just generally speaking it hasn't happened where people have been OTT from a security standpoint. I didn't spot anything potentially out of place, but it's it's awful to hear that, you know, you can almost feel harassed in in a place where you're meant to be excited, you're meant to be happy, you get to follow a sport that you love and enjoy, and and you're being taken out of that experience because a member of the security team or multiple members of the security team are targeting you. For no valid reason at all, besides the color of your skin, it's ridiculous. Like, why does that person feel uncomfortable with you around?
1: Yeah, I think, ooh, but I think it's it's a lot more prevalent online, and I think that's where it's, yes, where it's kind of more difficult to say what can when what can others do. Like, mm. I. I I hate to single him out, but we did talk about him earlier. Will Mm. Buxton. Yeah. It's like, how do you confront someone like that about what they're doing? Because he was clearly not in a mood to hear anyone else out. Yeah, he, he
0: wasn't exactly showing up and listening. He was very flippant and aggressive in his responses to... To people that I know personally on Twitter, um, and getting extremely defensive about what he had, about what he had or had not done, or in this case, what he had done. Um, and if people like that are not prepared to listen, then nothing will ever get done. You know, there will be no chance of someone, you know, listening, hearing someone out as a response, and then acknowledging that maybe you've gone about this the wrong way um and i don't think anyone in particular was was overly aggressive to the point of maybe throwing personal insults at, at will because we shouldn't be doing that either that's not no. going to help anybody um of course not but... like
1: you, you have to go into this with you know good faith that of course that that the person you're you know confronting you're trying to teach them something
0: right you don't have a teacher in school strap you into a chair and 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 smack you around I mean, those those days in the UK thankfully are no longer around but that's not that's you're never going to get through to someone as well as you can do by doing that by being aggressive and and you know a lot of people and the majority of the people that I saw when the situation happened were were civil and were polite in and because trust me this situation pissed me off and I had to <laughs> I had to be very careful in in selecting my words because people who know me know me well I I struggle with my anger sometimes it comes from my dad and you know I had to be as controlled as I could be because um, it, it, emotionally it's very frustrating when you have someone who not can't listen, but doesn't want to listen. And I know you've got to come at it with good faith, but I I can only encourage people that if you see something like that happen, please call them out in a civil but polite manner and and get your points across as best you can. And like I said, I, I don't like to single him out, but the way he handled it was terrible. It was objectively really, really bad, and for someone representing a massive brand, it's a horrible look. Um, and it's 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 tricky online because again, it's such an open book, it's such an open forum, and the, the, I, I saw people use the term "dogpile" regarding this in in the around the time it happened, and. And, you know, the term ratio get used. You know what I mean, King? So wow. it's like, yeah, so, you know, it's it's a very fine line to walk, but you can't let people like that stay silent because if the, if you stay silent, there's every reason they could do it again. And it's not going to help anybody if they're going to carry that sense of ignorance around what they're doing. So
1: yeah. please, it,
0: just, like, you know, yeah, going, yeah, going
1: Admittedly, in the past week, because... Like, I don't know about you, but like here in the States, there's a culture where you kind of, you know, you grin and bear it. But over the past week, it due to your recent events, people are just fed up. They just don't want to do it anymore. They like they like people are understandably angry.
0: Right. And they've got a very good reason to be. And it's. Anger is a very hard emotion to suppress. Um, Take it from me. So it it is very, very tricky. But a a lot of people, I think, have got good faith at heart. And I think that needs to be focused on, Like, like I said, back yourself. Like if you if you are adamant that you can help someone overcome that 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 ignorance please put it forth to them but obviously don't 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 be don't pour gasoline on the fire which I've been guilty of in the past you know what I mean um yeah. it's 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 it is tricky it is like it, it is very tricky because Twitter is a minefield right now and 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 again it, a lot of it is channeled by by anger and rage right now and a lot of it is is based in frustration which is quite justified right now so it's it's, it's,
1: it is kind of you know hard to restrain yourself and try to you know still be calm and understanding and work with people
0: Uh, yeah it's Re- Re- Rezzy sums it up in our chat better than I can where he says, online it's so much harder since words can't convey emotions
1: yeah mm. which is you know part of the reason why I kind of had this idea for the stream because it's yeah. it's something that we you know don't get the opportunity to talk about in length on the show because it, no. it just doesn't fit the format uh, It would it would be the entire show
0: yeah, it would easily be, be two hours, and we joke enough on this show that these shows go on so long as it is. You know, we 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 like to um, flesh out our points, shall we say? Um, but there's a great reason why, and that's part that's that's part of it. that's part of it, It absolutely is because a lot of it, in fact, pretty much all of it, is rooted online. You know, it's it's almost shocking when you see it in person now because we do spend so much of our time online. You know, so. It's yeah. it's 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 a constant juggling act, and it is it is never easy in that sense.
1: And to circle back to a question that you know, former co-host of ours, Adam Johnson, asked me in the chat about the event uh, that I you know mentioned in the thread, like that event, I was media, and
0: uh, that's even crazier. Yeah, it's not just the fan. Like you're someone that's been given media credentials by. They're bosses. Yeah. <laughs> if, so if your bosses trust them, why can't
1: you? <sighs> and it was... Like, it was so blatant that I there was no way I could have ignored it. Because right. at this event, I was going in between the media center, which you need a credential to go into, and the garage mm-hmm. area, which you either need a pit pass or a credential to get into. Right. And uh, the, uh, the security station... Uh, I'd probably say it's like maybe at most a 20-meter walk between the media center and the garage area, and the guard station is right in the middle, and they see me go back and forth all day, and they, they know that I need a credential to be in both those areas. If they, if they see me walking between the areas, there's no need to stop me, and everyone else was not getting stopped. I was the only person getting stopped. Right,
0: and you're in the area constantly, so why do they keep coming back to you? Like they've already seen you once. Surely that should be enough. Yeah. It's like So that that that's even worse. I didn't realize it was you as a member of the media. I honestly thought at first reading that that it was you as a fan. When and, and you know, being stopped as a fan is one thing, but when you're a member of the media who's already been given a level of trust by the bosses at the at the track to say this person is valid. This person is legit. This person's allowed to walk between the garage and the media center. If and the same people are on, are on station, like why do they need to see your pass constantly?
1: And <laughs> after I posted that thread, a number of of people of color, color who cover motorsport in North America, who, being completely honest, I did not know before this, right. confided in me that, like mentioning, hey, this happened to me too. Jesus.
0: So this is not a freak occurrence. This is a seemingly regular practice. Yeah, and I and I and I hate to use it. I use the term practice in inverted commas because it shouldn't be fucking happening. But if, but that I did not realise that that is a thing, and, and that you had multiple accounts from people off the record telling you, yeah, this has happened to me as well. So clearly, it's a part of the culture, which. Is not good that's awful that the, seemingly you're only trusted walking between two vital parts of a racetrack if you're white and that's that's deeply problematic what sort of message does that send to to anyone that's that's covering your sport that like we're only okay with your coverage or are only comfortable or with you in our presence if you're white
1: yeah, which is why uh, a comment that we read out from a certain series kind of rings hollow until I see action.
0: Right. What are you going to do to clean up your own backyard regarding this? Because as we've now proven, there is race. There is there is, like race issues within your own sport, um, and, and and if and I'd argue it's one of the worst areas it could be happening. The people that are covering it. The people that are trying to make your sport look as good as it can, you know, it's the one area where you want as good a relationship as possible: the press, the media, the guys that are covering your series to, to the to the people at large.
1: Yeah, That's... and it's not just IndyCar because the people mm-hmm. who message me cover all three, all three major North American racing series: IndyCar, NASCAR, and IMSA.
0: Jesus, it's all three. So it's it's it's. It's an America problem then, in yeah, general. because I
1: think, cycling back to what I said earlier, most of the series, they don't handle security themselves. They get right. off-duty, they normally get off-duty cops to do this.
0: That's not a good sign. That's not a good sign at all, you know. It's, was it off-duty cops that were with you the day that you were in there as media?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. Obviously, this is going to give away what track it was, but it was Pennsylvania State Troopers.
0: I see. I see. <laughs> well, there you go, folks. You, you, the, you, you can work that one out, can't you? Um, but <sighs> that's not great. That's not great at all. And I didn't. I didn't realize it. Like, I know. I knew that a lot of American sports events use off-duty police for security for their events, but I didn't realise it, pre- it was prevalent in motorsport as well, and these are the people that we're meant to trust, and but they don't trust us, and that's deeply troubling that, you know, the same police that's got us to this situation in the first place, you know, it's it's on a macro and a micro level, you know, it's 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 a small world in that sense.
1: Uh, yeah, and ooh, I think we should go to another question. Okay, so question, motorsport is one of the most political sports in the world, yet people seem to confuse politics with human rights. How do you respond to people calling human rights a political issue? And to bring up an example, uh, Bubba Wallace's response to this, he was one, uh, one of the first NASCAR drivers To make response to this And he's obviously one of the few black drivers in the series And right. Even he couldn't Refrain from using the phrase In his comments All lives matter And Ugh. pretty much The replies devolved Into Whether uh, It's okay Like whether it's okay to use that phrase like re- in replacement to black lives matter is black life lives matter even appropriate and it kind of boiled down to you know it being a political issue and it's 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 hard to ignore I I think oh it, it's at that point where it gets to being a political like a, a governmental political issue because right let let's be honest with ourselves everything in life is political it's right. just
0: it affects everything in life that we do it affects it affects all walks of life everything can eventually be boiled down back to politics
1: yeah and generally when it gets to that point what i like to do is you know, try to make the person empathize. Try to boil it down to uh, a situation that they might be in themselves. Right. Where like,
0: have you have you got have you got an example of this? Because I've 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 tried this a couple of ways
1: myself. <laughs> well, I think a good example for this is the fact that you know when people bring up Black Lives Matter, they, the reply is like, all lives should matter. And, obviously, it's it's hard to refute that, but it's, it's kind of like saying that, you know, going down a street, one of the many houses on the street are on fire, and the fire department shows up. Obviously, they're not going to hose down all the houses, they're going to hose down the one that's on fire.
0: Right. Like, that's how I've always seen it. Like, of course, in a perfect world, of course, every life should matter equally. But anyone, you'd be a fool not to say that, like, you'd be a fool to say right now that everyone, in especially in the United States right now, is treated equally because they're not. And that's exactly why people are on the streets right now protesting because they've seen enough evidence And rightly so to think that the people of their color have not been treated equally, and that's why Black Lives Matter exists. Like the phrase is not only Black Lives Matter. Like that's how I've always looked at it, and I've always tried to tell people that you know is that black people have struggled in systemically in all facets of life for hundreds of years. And that's something that a lot of white people can't relate to. Yeah. And I've tried to tell them stories about that. And, you know, where that's happened to me in my life, where and another friend of mine from South Africa mentioned the exact same point where I was told during the job interview, I was only being interviewed to, to, to fill the job's ethnic quota. Like it was company policy that they had to interview someone of color. And this has come up before in places in sport like the Rooney rule in the NFL, and the Premier League as well, that's had its own version talked about and put in, where clubs now have to interview a coach of a minority background. And a lot of people will kick up the same noise saying, shouldn't they get it on how good they are? And it's not as simple as that because a, a, a lot, like, if you're someone that is running a sports franchise, for example, why wouldn't you want to give yourself the best chance of giving yourself the best possible hire? Why would you segregate off an entire race of people in the first place?
1: Well, I think it's... that's that's where we kind of, you know, people kind of feel like that they're being attacked when you say something like that. And I always right. frame it as, you know, when you're hiring someone to fill a job, you want to hire someone that you feel comfortable working with. You're going to hire one of your friends, and right. nine times out of your ten, your friend is probably the same as you.
0: Right. Someone in your image, and 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 in, and in in these big higher ups in most executive positions up there, especially the ones that we know about, most of the power structure is is white and when you factor those two things in it feels like you're making up the numbers when you're a black person sometimes and i'll say sometimes it's probably more like most of the time and that thought never leaves the back of my head in in life from a personal standpoint i've always been worried about that walking into any job interview i've done and i've had a fair few in my 27 years on 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 this earth and it it's it's tricky and Like, like it's that that like that's the problem. A lot of people look at the phrase "Black Lives" and you got it spot on. A lot of people look at the phrase "Black Lives Matter" like it's an attack on them, and people don't realise it's not an attack on them. All we're asking is that white people care about black people too. Yeah, and a lot of people would rather just use the blanket term all lives matter or in the much more cynical case blue lives matter because they're supporting the cops which you probably really shouldn't be doing at this point Um, but they use the blanket term all lives matter because it feels like it's for me it feels like they're trying to please everybody and to borrow a quote from one of my favorite journalists Bomani Jones The reality is, if things are going to improve in motorsport and in any facets of life, we're going to have to make some white people's feelings uncomfortable. (laughs) And...
1: And and personally, I always felt, like, confused that motorsports fans didn't get this, because we've always heard the term that Formula One's a meritocracy, and most the vast majority of fans know that's not true. Yeah, (laughs) In in a perfect
0: again, and in a perfect world, we would love Formula One to exclusively be the top twenty drivers in the world. It ain't as simple as that. The structure and the economics of motorsport don't allow it for that to happen. It's what we, we literally joke about Mitch Evans, for example, on our own podcast, because he, he didn't get, you know, a ton of money and sponsorship climbing the ladder to get to the point where he got to with Formula Two and now Formula E. We used to call him Free to Play Evans, because of that very reason. Like, as a, a comparison to the gaming industry, about how most games these days have premium content or stuff on the disc, or all sorts of exploitative measures to make you pay more money than you were meant to. That was the joke, because we all knew that in motorsport, a lot of the time, the paychecks you always you always stood a greater chance of climbing the ladder if you had a bigger paycheck than your man behind you. And that's part of the problem And it's there's a lot of similarities there where that's concerned yeah, to...
1: And like that's where you, again the similarities you point to like that's that's you know a large part of what racism is. It isn't the the choice of, you know it isn't the choice of a bigoted individual. It's it's a deeply flawed system that's in place.
0: right like Rory in a chat summed it up better than I could where he goes, quote, formula one is a meritocracy. Please ignore how they have been multiple father son champions. <laughs> and he's and it's right. How many drivers have we seen in the last 15, 20 years that have been second generation or even further back than that? Like, you know, Damon Hill, Michael and Mick Schumacher, the Verstappens, the list, the list goes on. You know, we've seen it on multiple occasions where, where, the money gets passed down, you know, and a lot of it is inherited wealth. And then and, and of course that's going to help. I've s- people have asked me before, like you know, on Instagram and other places, Dre, why isn't there more black drivers in formula one? And, and you know, why, why isn't it in the UK that we've got Hamilton and we haven't got much else. And I always tell them the same thing. How many black guys do you know that want to get into karting? And, and why do you think you don't see a lot of people say they have an interesting in carting from a young age? Because most of them can't afford to. And the medium, the median money earned in a black household is much less than compared to a white family in the UK. It's, it's, I'm, it's, I'm 99% sure it's the same in the United States. Yeah. So and if like, you can't afford, yeah, if and, if you can't, do on, on,
1: on. Yeah, if you can't afford, a, if you can't afford a cart. You're, you're automatically off the list for people who get to Formula 1.
0: Yeah. When Lewis Hamilton was trying to get into F1, most people know the story. His, his father, Anthony, had to work three jobs to, to keep his son's dream alive. That's not normal by any stretch of the imagination. So if someone has to work 100-hour weeks to keep their son's dream afloat, something is wrong with the system, you know? And people don't like looking at sports and politics on a grassroots level and and that's where a lot of the problems could easily be
1: solved and what I... like the things that like we talk about in the show that like the initiatives trying to buck the trend like the rise of sim racing as a you know another right. gateway into actual racing. The W Scouting. series trying to you know get the other gender in racing. You know right. you know half the potential audience.
0: Yeah, blocked out like on 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 paper. If you're black and you want to get an F1, you've got a very very, very like the chances are microscopic. It is a miracle that Lewis Hamilton came along.
1: Yeah, I there, cannot stre- like Off the top of my head, there's only been two black drivers, ever.
0: Right. Lewis Hamilton is a walking miracle. I cannot stress this enough, that how not only he climbed the ladder, not only did people, there enough people back him to get to Formula 2 and to get to Formula 1, turns out he's really frigging good at driving a race car too, and probably, you know, by the time it's all said and done, he might be the greatest F1 driver that's ever walked this earth. The odds on that are microscopic to one. It's it's a thousand Jack Millers winning a thousand races at Assen. It's 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 that unlikely, and not a lot of people are willing to ask the questions as to why that is. You know?
1: Yeah, it's like no no one's asking like, hey, why is why why are Lewis and Pascal the only ones? Where's everyone else? Right.
0: And I've had to try and tell people that in written posts and when people have asked me in person, because you know, you know where I got a big rush of people asking me about that when drive to survive season two came out earlier this year. Mm. Cause for a lot of people, that was their first look into the sport itself. I had my, my boss at work and I work in a bookies full time calling me and say, Dre, I know you're an F1 man. I know you've got a motorsport podcast. I watched drive to survive. And I was like, I've got questions. And I was like, I pulled up a chair and I was like, Yeah, go on, Roger, sit for him. <laughs> you know. Because I want to educate people on the nuances of the sport, because obviously Drive to Survive is, you know, entertaining, particularly if you don't watch Formula One on a regular basis. If you do, a lot of it is stuff you already know about. But if you don't follow the sport regularly, there's a lot of nuance that gets left on the on the editing room table, if you get what I mean. Yeah. And um, and, and the culture of the sport because people ask me like like Drake how did Hamilton make it like and like why is he the only black guy here and I was like well son <laughs> you know
1: <laughs>
0: it's like there's a there's a simple explanation for that and it's and it all stems back to the culture of and the political nature of black families grassroots sports in general because I'll say it right now black kids are, are pressured almost more into playing football track or 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 rugby in the UK than it is like motorsport is like it's like there's none of that is even taught in schools for example of course it wouldn't be because no school is paying for a car track of course not yeah. it's an expensive hobby and that is why because football is so more accessible and a lot cheaper to play in a lot of talented black athletes end up playing football as opposed to motorsport you need money, back in and direction on the most basic of level to stand the chance. And then to get through the ladder of it all is virtually impossible. Again, you look at Lewis Hamilton and you really think about it. You think about just how unlikely a set of circumstances that is. It's it's one in a million. I've said, I've said it before. I, I compare it to the Williams sisters in tennis because the way the sport is... The, the, the very culture and the fabric of the sport itself is designed for this not to happen. <laughs> and yet somehow it did. In Tennis's case, twice. <laughs> like like that's a walkie miracle in itself, you know? So it's it's crazy, but
1: Yeah, where it's like uh you know, you know off the top of my head that like it's such a small fraction of drivers who actually get to Formula One. But generally you could get the feeling of which direction the sport's heading in based on the number of drivers in certain demographics in the feeder series. Like, you know, it's it was easy to tell we were gonna have a large influx of French drivers in the Formula One because they were there's just a large amount of French drivers in Formula Three. And Right Lewis really was that one in a million. He was that, he was the only black driver and he made it all the way up. Right. And it kind of paints a bleak picture because that was junior career before you get to F1 is usually five years. So you mm-hmm. get to see what F1 is about five years in advance. And if you look at formula three right now, uh, <laughs> <clears throat> Oh, okay, so...
0: RJ put it into perspective, before we move on real quick again, regarding Jan but he's, he's another great example of Jan Mardenborough. Again, Blacken has been around motorsport now for a, for quite a while, and he was famous because he came through GT Academy in video games as... As, as his main outlet. And again, that was considered freakish because that just didn't happen um, in, in, in motorsport until Jan yeah, Mardenborough came along. And it, it, people forget his dad was a professional football player for the better part of 15 years. Yep. He he made his money. And not even that could get him into karting full time. So you, you could see just how much the deck is stacked against, against people of color in that
1: set. Yeah. Oh, because I, I think where it's that, and I do feel that sometimes that obviously we're very close, we closely follow the sport, and especially with social media now. A lot more people are following the Junior Series than they used to. And Absolutely. It, and it does feel that uh, these young drivers have a much brighter spotlight on them than they used to. Like, for example, last season, Tatiana Calderon was the first woman in, in Formula 2 or an equivalent series for the best part of 25 years and so the criticism she received was relentless
0: yeah it it was like in terms of a ratio compared to male drivers of similar status getting called out for their ability it was tenfold you know what 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 you would see for a man in the same position and yeah it is it is problematic um and circling back to the original question it like it, it, we have to, you have to show people the greater scope of motorsport to like before you realize well look that it's far more to it than the meritocracy that it portrays. And I know I've done that on this site in written form and in podcast form for years talking about the the fact that this sport is not a meritocracy and, 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 you know, sport and politics go hand in hand. There is no way of avoiding politics by being a sports fan. Unfortunately, I think people want to use sports as an escape from the quote unquote politics they watch on TV under or read about in the newspaper but they're very much one and the same. I, I, again, we mentioned it with Colin. Ka- I mentioned it with Colin Kaepernick in the video we put out, yesterday, put out yesterday, and how his protest was initially about police brutality. People didn't even notice he was doing it until the third time, I and mean, that was an NFL preseason game. And when he was asked about it, and when he said it was, he was protesting for a cause on police brutality. Did did all the other sports networks have debates about police brutality? Because we all know sports shows love a good debate these days. <laughs> no. <laughs> I
1: wish they did.
0: I wish they did. It would be it would be fascinating viewing. Um, but it wasn't about that. It quickly got diluted to the point where it, it became a conversation about the American flag and whether you should stand for the national anthem, a tradition that was still relatively new in American sports. I think it was only a, a handful of years old when when kaepernick was called out for kneeling
1: and yeah for the nfl it was new but in terms of like american sport baseball has been standing for the national anthem before the flag before it was even the national anthem uh right like strangely enough that came into place out of actual natural patriotism because uh you know this patriotic song, "The Star-Spangled Banner," and during the First World War, uh, Major League Baseball wasn't exempt from the draft. Many players got drafted and served, and the players who didn't mm-hmm. get drafted and stayed beside and you know stayed behind and still played pro baseball did it in respect to their former teammates who were you know on the Western Front. Right. So, like I said, when when
0: when major media outlets started picking up Kaepernick's protest, it became a debate about the US flag. It became a debate about the the national anthem. The The goalposts got moved. Yeah. It wasn't like the initial message of Cap's protest was lost. It all, instead, it, it, it's the same deflective nature you see when people use the hashtag All Lives Matter. Instead of dancing around why Kaepernick was protesting, everybody was told to stick to sports and the sports angle of this in their eyes was, should you stand for the anthem? Because we, and that they big major places like ESPN with first take and then undisputed with, with Skip Bayless, Shannon Sharp on Fox, they were all focusing on the same thing. And that was the flag because they're all debate shows. And first take when, when Tebow mania exploded, Realized they found the golden format while well, people were watching first, and then were watching Sports Center in the US back then. That's how crazy the trend became, and unfortunately, that's the same blanketing that frustrated me as a sports fan and as a black human being watching Kaepernick protest for a just cause, and then having it be squashed by the networks that could lead the charge for national conversation on this. It just became, oh, respect the flag, which america itself does not respect because the flag is fucking everywhere in americana as a part of its culture
1: from dinner plates to to, around around (laughs) the same time around the same time it came out that the department of defense was actually paying major sports leagues to do these patriotic displays
0: yeah, paid patriotism. You know, they were, they were spending millions and millions of pounds to use sports essentially as a recruitment tactic. I think they said they paid Dale Earnhardt Jr. Like, I think it was something in the region of 60 plus million dollars to have well, the National
1: Guard national well, sponsor his car, wasn't it? Yes, <laughs> though that was a lot more overt. Like, motorsports fans knew. Like, it's not like, hey, Dale Jr., out of the kindness of his heart, is running logos and colors (laughs) in the National Guard on his car. Right. The the National Football League were actively deceiving people.
0: Right. (laughs) That's just it. We were seeing these really nice and heartwarming, you know, patriotic, patriotic displays at sports games. Like, you know, you might surprise a a military family with someone that's returned from being on duty um, from anywhere in the Middle East, for example. Um, And you you go, oh, that's awesome. That's wholesome. You love it. It does the rounds on social media. It's, it's, you know, it goes viral and then you realize the sport's taken a check to make that happen. It's just so disingenuous. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's, 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 it's 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 awful. It's 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 awful, and it makes you feel it, it makes you sick to your stomach when you realise it. It's just like, oh yeah, this this wholesome moment has been tainted by money, <laughs> and yeah, it's 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 a lot of things are political issues. Pretty much everything can be circled back to politics in 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 life, and I just don't know why motorsport fans seem to be exempt or seem to feel like they're exempt from that, when it's even more in your face that politics is a massive part in the structure of motorsport. And I find that that baffling, that so many just almost willfully choose to ignore that.
1: Because, I don't know, to kind of close out this question, it's kind of like, there's kind of a general understanding that, you know, most people who follow motorsport closely, it's kind of an understanding that everyone knows the insider terms. Like almost like the almost like how like everyone knows that wrestling's scripted. Like we just assume everyone right. knows so that we're all on this deeper level of understanding, so we don't have to discuss this. But when we actually do, people don't like that we're discussing it.
0: As I used in an old drapery a few years ago, King, no one wants to know how the sausage was made. Sausage is delicious, but no one wants to see <laughs> that 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 pigskin go around go around the tube and get it filled up to see how a sausage is made. But delete it when it's fully cooked and it looks great on a plate with a side order of chips. It's, I know it's not the nicest analogy in the world, but that's exactly what we're talking about here. This is this is the trip to the sausage factory, everybody. You know, and
1: it's it
0: it's it's not ideal but oh king let's move on <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay the next question was actually a question you received uh to quote it hmm. exactly how do you personally cope with this how can you come down how do you find the energy to keep going how do you not burn out when you see it in the community of the sport that you, that you love so much you positively assess obsess about and uh if, if you aren't anything like me, also use as escapism from day-to-day life problems?
0: Great question. Um, what's the nice way of saying it makes you feel like I want to pull my eyeballs out of my skull on an almost monthly basis? Um, and this week in particular has been incredibly hard. Um... I would like to just personally say on a side note, thanks to everybody that's reached out to me personally via direct message, via email. I've had a, a ton of them. And I'm, I'm very, very grateful for that. I mean, the way I've always seen it is is that I almost can't allow myself to, to, to feel hurt or pained by it, because I know there's people out there that, of my colour that have got it a thousand times worse than I do. And I still don't ever lose sight of the fact that I myself have a level of privilege because we have this platform. I, I'm very lucky to have a couple of a couple of thousand people on YouTube that, that care enough about my opinion or care enough about what I've got to say on a, on a matter that they'll shut up and listen for 15 minutes at a time and hear what I've got to say. A lot of people don't have that. And that's a blessing that I will always hold on to. And unfortunately, a lot of people don't have a voice in that sense. And it is so frustrating because you know what it is for me, King? It, it's not so much the fact that it happens. It's more so much the repetition that, that gets me because I feel like I've got to discuss these same issues again and again and again. And it makes you feel worse because it feels like people aren't listening. And the fact that people don't listen, is is what frustrates me more than anything else. Um, Like, Lewis Hamilton is a peak example of that. And again, being the only black, the only only prominent black driver in the sport that we've had, you know, especially in his position at the, the top of the sport, of course, a lot of the conversation revolves around him. And a lot of it is in code. You know, a lot of it is in snide comments like his hairstyle or his choice in fashion or you know the fact he isn't wearing team gear like you know like like a shirt and tie or a team shirt everywhere he goes and a lot of the criticism is 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 vague and it makes you like raise an eyebrow and go well what do you really mean when you say this like like why like why do dreadlocks put like why do dreadlocks scare you so much and like it's, and it makes you second guess everything. I don't like doing that. It's not nice to drill into points with people about the sometimes the very grey area as to why you do or dislike somebody, and it sucks having to play detective half the time and having that thought in the back of your head when you see anything regarding people of colour in motorsport, or or including women in motorsport. Another marginalized minority in in the sport itself you know and it, it goes beyond that it goes obviously into many other sports that we both follow but sticking to motorsport for once on this occasion for me personally I think it's exhausting
1: yeah that's kind of what annoys me the most that we have to go through this again and again and again and while Other issues in motorsport are always tackled, you know, straightforward, bluntly, there's a problem, we're going to find a solution, we're going to fix it. So, like, kind of the comparison I draw to it, unfortunately, is anytime there's a driver fatality, like, I don't know about you, but like, anytime we normally see a driver fatality, it's never in the same way as a previous one anymore, that usually... Anytime mm. that there's a tragic accident, they find a solution so that it never happens that way again.
0: Right. Open and shut case. This is like they'll do an investigation. This is why Driver X died. This is this is what we're going to do to make sure this doesn't happen again. Open and shut case. There isn't there isn't a debate. There isn't a a, a explanation every six months you'd like to think it's sorted and unfortunately regarding safety, you're never ever going to solve everything at every one point. You never know what could happen on a racetrack when, you know, we're dealing with, in the case of for example, IndyCar, 200 mile an hour cars and you, you, you can never cover everything. Of course not, but you can, you can mitigate so much of the risk that we don't think about it until something awful happens. Um, but you're right. It is, very much open and shut these sort these these sorts of issues. When it comes to elements like race, when it comes to elements like unfair criticism that relate to race, this is a constant. It is a constant battle, and I feel like I have to remind people of that like once every six months, if not even more frequently than that. And it's it's so frustrating when that comes around because it, it just you, you sound like a broken record.
1: Yeah, and like I don't know, just the the general response usually when this happens is that you know, uh, you know, it's like oh, when X thing happened, we did Y, so isn't that enough?
0: And yeah, then you go, well, why why did you stop? Like, yeah. why did you stop trying to trying to find a way to make things better? You should always be looking for ways to make things better. You know, like self improvement shouldn't be something that is seasonal. You know, it should it should be a constant. You know, asking questions is good. Um, a lot of the time, you know, a lot of the time it's healthy to, to to, you know, to self examine and, and and look for ways to improve. And it's one of the things that's annoyed me as a content creator as well because these repetitive topics, like criticism of Hamilton, like. Sebastian Vettel, for example, like any systemic issue within motorsport, you don't want to repeat yourself too many times because you feel like you've written this before. And I've I've, I've tackled that stumbling block in making videos and writing writing columns before, where it's like, but I said this last year. <laughs> it's like, and you don't want to, and you don't really want to repeat yourself. But sometimes you feel like you have to because. It's, it's an issue that comes up over and over again
1: yeah and it's it's I don't know it, it's you know on that level I think we talked about before where people kind of you know say that solution was good enough wipe their hands and walk away uh, but when it's a situation when it's you know impossible to deny that someone's life was either lost or extremely at risk it's you know we're, we're doing everything we can find a solution but in this situation where you could say the exact same thing like people die right
0: they do and it's a constant and the thought of that never the thought of that potentially happening never goes away it it it's, it's horrible to even think about it it's 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 like you've got that mental burden in the back of your head every time you see a racetrack and I know in a sense we're very lucky because from for example a safety standpoint for instance we're a lot better than we were 25 30 years ago but it's a fight that is ongoing because you're you know you're not going to cover everything and I think a lot of it applies to Elements of our sport and criticism of our sport, especially, especially given that Formula One, I think, in particular, in particular, in motorsport, is very insular. It, it, I've mentioned it before. It's very much like it's in its own bubble compared to the rest of the world. And like I said we, we we circled back to the top of the show. It took so long for everybody not named Lewis to talk about this, like, and when you see that go down from people that you're meant to admire and like i mean look like it or not these guys are role models like a lot of people do look up to these guys how many f1 twitter accounts have you seen named after a driver hundreds if not thousands of them like i don't like using drivers as role models but the reality is, uh, is that thousands of people do and and holding them to said standard, and then having to deal with them when they when they can be problematic, which is unfortunately a lot more often than I would like to admit.
1: Which <laughs> I'm is, surprised we didn't get any questions about that. Not gonna lie.
0: Right, right, and <laughs> because uh, yeah, a lot of that culture is as being problematic. Like people don't talk about it. For example, last year Daniel Ricciardo dropped an M bomb and no one blinked like and i mentioned it on video and again no one blinked (laughs) and like like that we just put it down to ricardo was quoting a song and that was okay no no it's not okay that's the thing And and i remember talking about that by comparison to to hamilton and and, pe- and, and when that happened, people again tried to move the goalposts by saying, oh, well, Kimi Räikkönen didn't wear a cap. Like, well, like He wore a cap during the from one time. You know, what about him? And that what's aboutery is, again, super frustrating. Like, if if a video now, this month, or like rolled up of Daniel Ricciardo dropping an M-bomb on video, we'd be having very different conversations about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> But because it was 2018, he got away with it. And.
1: Which is insane to say. Pardon? Which is insane to say that he got away with it because it was 2018.
0: Right? (laughs) This was less than two years ago. And everybody was just seemingly okay with it. And these are the same people that, a lot of these same people that are posting black squares today and saying that they're with these dudes. Well, did anybody call Ricardo out for this? not a lot of people did
1: and... and I think that's that's a good transition for our next question yeah go for it so abbreviated question uh, Formula 1 statement was very vague do you think that F1 would have been better off by saying nothing and uh, the person setting in the question did make a reference to this being the same sport that you know raced in South Africa until the mid 80s <laughs>
0: Right, thick in the middle of apartheid.
1: Yeah, so, <laughs> for those who don't know, Formula One raced in apartheid era South Africa until they were literally forced to abandon the, the South African Grand Prix. Pretty much, the British and French governments said that if you race in South Africa, you won't be able to race in our countries, meaning that there wouldn't be a British Grand Prix or a French Grand Prix. <sighs>
0: It's a great question and there's no easy answer there I mean yeah I didn't like how how vague Formula 1 statement was yeah we don't like racism well done gold star I mean, it's like, like yeah thank god I mean given that you know the most famous name to come out of your sport maybe ever is black like thank god I mean like, ta-da
1: um Oh, uh, just uh, a little point to make in the chat so Christopher Hardy mentioned that the last South African Grand Prix was in 1993 Uh, that was after apartheid had ended like they thought that you know that you know apartheid was over they could come back to South Africa Uh, I forgot the exact reasoning why the race had to be ended after that but pretty much the race wasn't as financially viable as it used to be
0: yeah yeah exactly i mean it is, it is it's barely a a bare minimum qualification like i don't think it's unfair to say you expect a major corporation to not like, to be anti-racist but unfortunately it has now gotten to the point where being silent in the face of racism is now grounds for criticism And it probably should be at this point. But I said it before. I think it boils down to the fact that they don't want to piss anybody off. They don't want to piss off a sponsor. They don't want to piss off, you know, representatives of the the sport. They don't want to step on anybody's toes. They don't want to offend anybody. I made the point to uh, a friend of mine, Kai. You may know him on Twitter as 50 bucks. One of the real good guys in this space and records a whole heap of video content. For everybody for free, like if you don't follow Kai, please follow him. He's a great dude. Um, but I made the point to him that yeah, they probably don't want to piss off a bunch of their fans that are probably racist themselves. Because <laughs> you know, it, you, you've seen the last dance, right, King? Yes. You know what I'm about to quote, right? I know what you're about to quote. You know the one though where, where I believe it. I want to say it was it was episode three. I want to say where. Where Michael Jordan in in the face of a racist trying to keep his senator position at a at a, at a at a by-election, where he's you know, he didn't want to publicly endorse the black candidate running for senator by saying, and I quote, Republicans buy sneakers too. It's it's that same sort of vibe of I don't I, I don't really want to endorse anything here because I don't want to risk pissing anybody off. And other guys in that documentary made the point, what would Michael Jordan have really lost if he endorsed a black candidate for senator? Like he probably wouldn't have, have got been dragged or raked over the coals for it as much as he probably thought he was. Now, I know a lot of that is boils down to, to MJ, who clearly cares an awful lot about his public image and how he's perceived. I think that's why it took so many years for this documentary to be give, given the green light by MJ the, to begin with. Um, but it's the same mentality of the comment was like the comment itself was so late and the comment itself was so jaw droppingly obvious. It kind of makes you think, did, should you even bothered making it if he weren't, if he were going to softball it so much, I, I, I don't know whether they should or shouldn't have bothered or not, but when you look at it and you just go, is that it you just go yeah it's probably not unfair to suggest you know should they have bothered
1: like i i think it's on that level of number one one needing to be involved in a political situation because not saying anything would look even worse right Uh, two this is a Undeniably, at the moment that we're Doing this, a marketable situation Like, I would compare It to, you know, recently The the John Boys And SB Nation produced video series History of the Seattle Mariners And that, Mm. as a funny gag Nike thought, hey What if as a promotional stunt We have Ken Griffey Jr. run For president Oh, Christ, I remember that bit now, yeah Uh... (laughs) And Obviously, Ken Griffey Jr. is, you know, a very, you know, forward-looking person. Uh, he's he's also very charismatic and likable, but very much so. Just being in a political space was extremely frustrating for him. That him taking a stance by saying. Like, not even in his mind he didn't even think he was taking a stance by saying yeah I'd be fine with playing with a gay teammate just the amount of media attention he got for saying that was enough to make him want to end the political like the 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 promotional stunt immediately
0: yeah he 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 brought it brought out the cranky side in that you know he that he didn't like he didn't like how frustrating it was to go out and effectively campaign because he was running for president and he he said himself he just wanted to sit down and eat ice cream and and watch ricky lake on tv you know he, he didn't want to be out here really running for president but and this was in a the face of an objectively positive comment where he says i'd be happy to play with a gay teammate which was in the middle of the 90s where where there was still so much prejudice regarding gay athletes um, in in world sport not just the United States obviously but in the world but again like that was deemed quote too political um yeah it's 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 wild that you know it's when when politics is still so encapsulated on a world level everybody is now so tuned into the world via social media it's like you now there's almost like a level of expectation. To expect big brands to solidify their position, the problem is is that a lot of them are half-hearted. A lot of them are very vague and very blankety. In that's not, that's not a real word, but forgive me on that. Very, they are very wishy-washy in their statements, and yeah, it 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 it, it, it adds resent, it adds frustration. Because look, let's be real here. You you probably want your sports team. To say, yeah, you know, we we support gay athletes. Yeah, you know, we, we don't like the police shooting innocent black people. But a lot of them don't. I mean, King, you, you can relate to this. You're a, you're a New York Knicks fan. Like, just, Dolan is not making a statement on this. And apparently yeah. the MSG are pissed about this now. Yeah, because,
1: like, if you've been following recent events here in New York City, right down the street from the Garden, last night the iconic macy's at harold square on 34th street anyone who's ever watched the movie the miracle on 34th street that's the department store they're talking about uh, right that that store down the street from the garden was was looted there was a massive protest in harold square it spilled into the macy's uh store was looted uh and down the street, Madison Square Garden, the New York Knicks are not making a statement. The players, a lot of Madison Square Garden staff, are completely against this. But the uh, the governor of of the New York Knicks, billionaire James Dolan, has put out a company wide uh, a company wide email, which someone thankfully leaked to the press that I right, no, right. no one from the no one from the Knicks can make a comment about recent events
0: censorship essentially
1: yeah
0: if you took if you come out and talk about this your job may be at risk basically which which is is censorship and i don't mean that bullshit about getting blocked on twitter and saying he censored me like no no.
1: it's it's if you speak out you will be terminated right that that censorship um and, and yeah as rj
0: alluded to in the comments in our chat right now he says I also liken it to corporate brand, branded pride, where it's now marketable f- for at least at least a month to get the money of LGBTQIA plus people and to do shit else or, or shit all else to help us. In, in, and also he also said that I quote, and to lighten the mood a little bit, he also says, in true Motorsport 101 fashion, we have found the justified way to dunk on James Dolan. Oh no, um, it's
1: always been justifiable to dunk on James Dolan. We don't. We don't need, we don't need the M One O One badge for that. Don't worry. Um,
0: we got that shit covered. Um, but no, it's 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 very much true. a lot of it is pu- like there are financial motivations to at least perceive like you actually give a shit about marginalized people um, and, and, and minorities in, in areas, whether it be based on gender, sexual preference, or race. Like there's money in that for them, you know. Um, so yeah, you're absolutely right. It's like when it's it, again, it's it's another frustrating thing. It makes you, it, it does. Like I'm not saying they shouldn't bother; they absolutely should. But unfortunately, again, because of the, way, the way a lot of these places work, it makes you more cynical towards what their true motivations are when they're trying to directly profit off pretending they give a shit about these people because they will, they will maybe make a, a, a tiny donation to a charity or they'll sell something where the proceeds might go to a charity, but they're still making money on a lot of this stuff.
1: And it was you know? really, I would, I wouldn't say it's, it's not strange for James Dolan, but it was, it was strange for the <laughs> national basketball association in general, because it, it was a completely different side from the way the rest of the league reacted, mainly because, George Floyd used to be a star athlete. There are players in the NBA who knew him on a personal level. Right. Right.
0: That's one of their own that got, that got that that was murdered, you know, and let's be honest, basketball and a lot of its players have been ahead of the curve in speaking out against social issues, especially police brutality in the United States. I remember when Eric Garner was, was murdered and the, I can't breathe t-shirts the messages on trainers. They were, Virtually the entire league was behind that, you know. Um, some sports are better at this than others, um, and yeah, I. Again, it's it's it is hard to 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 weigh it up because yeah, you kind of you want your own to, to to you want your own and what you believe in and what you enjoy to be on the right side of history sometimes, but unfortunately, a lot of the times they prove that they don't. And and that's that's in that, that's that's so frustrating as a fan. It's so irritating because it does. It, like I've said before, it make it, it makes me turn around and think, well, why did you bother then? If you just go into completely, just put it on a rug, push it to one side, and then you know never say anything again, not do anything when you have the power to actually do something about it. Um, that that's the sort of places we look up to as sports fans, as people, you know. We look to these big corporations and sports leagues and sports teams. And all them. I mean, every, just, every, just about every major sports team on Earth is worth like at least a billion <laughs> these know? days. Many of them, multiple
1: billions. So, um, like,
0: despite, despite
1: for longtime listeners of the show who don't follow basketball, know my pain of following the New York Knicks. <laughs> uh, yep. The New York Knicks have nothing to lose by making any comment about this. They're, Despite being one of the least successful teams in the NBA, they're the most valuable franchise in not only pro basketball, but in global sports.
0: I swear it's something like four or five billion dollars, right? Yeah,
1: the New York Knicks are as worth as much as Formula One. <laughs> That's a, that, that, that makes you want to pop your eyeballs out. I mean, and you realise how,
0: if you know basketball, you know how bad they've been over the last decade. It's just, oh my God. But yeah, you're absolutely right. And yeah, to, to, to tie it up back to the question, it is, it is frustrating because you know they can do so much more and it, it really wouldn't take much for them to do more. I think almost the pattern is now, oh, this is a social issue. Ah, oh, we'll donate a million bucks. Ah, there we go. Next one. Um, and it's like it's like the conveyor belt keeps moving. And like when when someone like Stephen that owns the Dolphins, donates a million bucks when you know he's a billionaire of his own right, you just go, I don't, I don't want to play into that old joke that happens every time when the billionaire donates some money. And it's like, this is like 0.005% of their net worth. You know, et cetera, et cetera. But it's true. It's frustrating because they're the people we look to that can make a difference. That can make a true difference to the world. I mean, yeah, it's it's great and all that people like me and you can donate fifty bucks here or there. On you know, unlike that guy from, you know, <laughs> unlike that guy who designed the off-white's Virgil that just donated fifty bucks in a chain when he's worth millions because you know, or the off-white brand makes so much money. But we look up to these dudes because they know they can make a difference. And when when they end up being quite wishy-washy about the situation and pushing it to one side almost, and when you know they could do more, that is inherently frustrating.
1: Yeah, it is frustrating when it's where you see people fearful of not not losing money, but the potential to make money in the future by making a statement. It's It comes off as... Ridiculous, and absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and let's let's move on to the next question. Okay, so next question, kind of the other side of the coin in the situation: What's wrong with the United States government designated, designating Antifa as a terrorist organization? Aren't those who are violent take away from the peaceful protests? Uh, and that's. That's complicated. So while there've been peaceful protests, there's been mass rioting. And uh it's before I, you know, go on forever, long and short of it is that like I don't conto- I don't condone rioting at all, though I understand why people are It's it's
0: the Chris Rock line.
1: Where you know, where
0: he's talking about OJ Simpson, where it's just like, I'm not saying he should have killed her, but I understand. Um, not that I agree with that statement, but it's the <laughs> same. It's the same mentality. It's the look. You and I both know that that looting and rioting is objectively not great. It doesn't solve anything. It, you know. However, what I don't like about it is that that is being used as the conversation starter rather than, why are the police systemically killing innocent black people? Instead, it becomes, oh, but what about the riots? And uh, again, you're weaponizing a very, very small part of the greater picture here. And that's what annoys me. It's like you're almost being ignorant as to why the whole situation started in the first place to focus on a building getting robbed. Yeah. Like in the grand scheme of things, like no one's going, no one is crying for, for, for a, for a target being burned down or a night shop losing, losing a few grand worth of sneakers. Like, like going to be fine. <laughs> like, like they ain't starving over there. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and it's, it's kind of that thing where, you know, most of the writing and, you know, looting they're, they're obviously, you know, Stealing property that isn't theirs, but it's property. It's like you're not you're not physically hurting another person. Right. Big big difference. And as as
0: Skeleton puts in the chat, that's arguably the most confusing part of all of this, is that they designated Antifa as a terrorist organization. They're
1: They're not not an an organization. organization.
0: They're, They're not an organization. There's no leader. There's no internal power structure. You know, there's all it is, Antifa is literally a phrase that means anti-fascist. That's it. Like, it's it's nothing more than a name. Or, or a title, I guess you could say, in this case. And yet, look, we can go in we could make this show 16 hours long talking about all the problems that come with Donald Trump. <laughs> but labeling essentially the the big problem of this is that it essentially labels anyone that's anti-fascist in the United States as a terrorist and, and that is deeply problematic because it means they can take away rights of citizens yeah because... of and they can and they can label that to anybody it's like the red scare all over again
1: yeah because pretty much like obviously those familiar with uh Recent events in the United States. Well, I mean, recent as in the past 20 years. Since the attacks of September 11th and the start of the quote unquote global war on terror, anyone who is seen as a member of of a terrorist organization as designated by the United States government can be seen as an enemy combatant of the country and can be stripped of your rights. You are no longer you are no longer a citizen of this country. You are an enemy combatant.
0: Deeply, deeply troublesome. And yeah. Like, taking the rights away from anyone that potentially could be on the street purely off a hunch for an organization that doesn't exist yeah if you can't see the problem in that then i can't help you
1: (laughs) because i I, I, deep down in my heart i i highly doubt they'll do this but in theory which they've done to people as a part of other designated terrorist organizations they could spirit you away out of the outside the borders of the united states of america where your rights are no longer guaranteed to you and you'll be in one of a various number of military prisons where they could do whatever they want to you and obviously people know the most famous one in cuba you know guantanamo bay of course though i again highly doubt i'll get to that point
0: but it There's, could it's possible
1: it's possible
0: it's theoretically possible and let's be honest given donald trump and the way he's behaved over the last few years you can't rule that out unfortunately um and yeah that's that is why it's so it's so troubling you know and of course, to a degree, yes, people being violent will take away from the protests. But there's an inherent problem with that is is that who's being violent? A lot of this is the police being violent. A lot of this is, is the police being the aggressors here. It's it's not some sort of cold-hearted secret, you know, that does that does the rounds on on forums. It's in broad daylight, it's being filmed, news channels have picked up on this. There was one terrifying one we saw from Australian news this morning, where they yeah. were in the middle of Washington when they were having tear gas thrown at them, so they could move them out of the way. It's like
1: it, so, it's 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 frustrating to see the federal government of the United States purposely provoking conflict, where yeah. uh, the the White House has volunteered to deploy the United States Army the, the the military police units of the United States Army to Minneapolis and obviously they can't do that unilaterally. the governor of Minnesota needs to permit this from happening and he obviously said no
0: <laughs> yeah. 'Cause that's just it. Like it's and that is another thing about it that's so awful is because it's it's a deflection tactic, saying, Oh look at these looters or or look at you know or for example oh, look at these guys that are rioting or, or, or hitting up a building. Not why are the police put one of their own cars in the middle of the street, beat it with Ryan Bretons and then blaming the protesters? Like we saw in Boston. Like like it's it's another deflection that takes away from the overall arc and point, and it's just like Kaepernick all over again. Only this time on a much larger scale. This time it's literally the return of McCarthyism that that doesn't seem to scare people as much as oh look at that Nike store, look at that Nike store being robbed by that black dude. Oh no! <laughs> Will someone please pull one out? <laughs> you know. Was well, someone please pour one out for, for for the for the poor night shop and like the people that are doing that are missing the point so hard it, it, it's incredibly frustrating that you know that yeah in theory yeah we the violent you know, the violent aren't helping but unfortunately the violence isn't like I don't think it's coming from the protesters anywhere near as as people want to think that it is and yeah, and
1: I think. It kind of misses the point. Where I think I saw one of the one protester give an interview to a local news affiliate, and they said that rioting isn't the problem; it's a symptom of the problem. If you really right. didn't want this to happen, you would have solved the root cause of this problem.
0: Right, and that and that is why are the police being so violent across the country, like. <laughs> And again, it, it's 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 something that doesn't get talked about. We we focus on, on the micro and not the macro and people look for reasons to not talk about the larger problems, and that has been the one thing these people a lot um, to be honest, a lot of them are racist, or a lot of them want to at least deny that ra- that race is behind any of this. They will they have found their outs, they've seen a couple of black guys rob a store in the middle of this downtime, and that's what they want to focus on. It's 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 a bit like seeing the White House is on fire, but then realizing that like the grass, like there's a patch of grass that isn't the same height, and that's what you're focusing on instead. Like like, hello, the house is on fire. Like and and people want to focus on that because it makes them feel better about what's happening. At least that's how I look at it. Anyway, I think it's a, it's an easy it's an easy way of not talking about something Yeah, it's an and,
1: easy way of deflecting the problem uh, yep you know, finding a way to convince yourself to defending the status quo so you personally don't have to do anything right uh, and it's oh, it, it's kind of the, the the real problem we kind of have to talk about where I think you know Bomani Jones talked about it this morning where people are gonna have to confront issues that they thought they never had before
0: right and the point that he made on Hardy questionable yesterday on, on ESPN where he said look, it's great that so many white folks are posting these squares and you know it's like the easy part. Is getting on the wagon, and I don't want to dis- dis- to dis- to marginalise supporting black people as a wagon because obviously it's far more important than that. Um, but I have to use a- I have to use a blanket phrase here, so forgive me. But this bit is easy. The hard bit is staying on that wagon for months and years to come because if anything, and what we've seen from history in the United States and I- I- even here in the UK, like. I personally have been in handcuffs because an officer thought I looked like another guy that was Eastern European. Yeah, that actually happened. And a lot of people already know that story because it was a video I made on my old YouTube channel on on Harrison 101. And I I laughed it off at the time. And it's one of my biggest regrets because I could have used it to make a much more greater point that the police have all the power. And that is a massive part of the problem. But like I said, getting getting on getting on the wagon is easy. Staying on the wagon is hard, and it, and a lot of that is going to involve checking people, talking to your family, because a lot of this shit starts in, within people's own four walls. You know, a lot <laughs> the amount of times I've seen members of my own family be racist against minorities in their own four walls because they can they know they can get away with it is off the charts. And I'm often looked at like the bad guys sometimes because I'm have to be the one to call them out on it and say, look, no, guys, this is not OK. This is not funny. You know, it happened on one of for one of the contestants on Bake Off this last year. who was he was gay and had an, and had anxiety attacks. And, you know, they were they were making jokes about, uh, you know, about being gay and it was homophobic. And I looked and I was just like, guys, this isn't funny. Stop. Like, it's, it's deeply uncomfortable. People are gonna have to start doing that. People are gonna have to start checking their their families, their friends, and telling them, "Look, this shit is not okay." And like work colleagues, like even as recently as as four months ago, I had a colleague in my shop that I had to pull to one side and have a very serious conversation because I'm a manager in my shop. I'm in charge and I'm accountable for my shop and everybody that's in it. And this and this person was white, and she and, and you know I know she. She didn't mean to cause offence, but that's part of the problem is you got to tell people, look, this is not OK. And she was a white woman in her 50s and she would kept referring to me as coloured. And coloured is an antiquated derogative term for black people that was used generations ago. And I have to tell her, look, it's OK to say black. <laughs> you know, you don't have to you don't have to call me coloured. You know, I felt like I was taken back to the Stone Age and it's that's what's going to be. That's going to be the hard part. And that's the test for so many people that will claim that they support black people and they support Black Lives Matter because this it's the macro stuff on a large scale is never going to get solved until the micro issues are resolved day to day, person to person, culture to culture when life, and I say, goes back to normal in inverted commas because the way we were, let's not forget we're in a global pandemic here. I mean, again, a, a global pandemic that's killed hundreds of thousands of people is the, is the number two story in world news right now. Uh, I know, it's, this, 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 this is 2020 for you, everybody. Um, but at the same time, when life returns to something resembling normality, that's going to be the test for people going forward. And I hope... People are as adamant in supporting people of our skin color then than it just is now. Because I said it on Instagram earlier when people started blacking their squares out. I said on on there, this is not a trend. This is not a fact. This isn't something that's going to go away anytime soon, you know, and... A lot of countries can relate to what we're going through. I mean, guys in the chat are mentioning it right now. Mark Duggan in 2011 and the riots in the riots in London when Duggan was innocently gunned down and London was in chaos for several days. And ironically, what a surprise—the mayor of London at the time, some guy called Boris Johnson, was on holiday when it all went down. Oh, and isn't, uh,
1: isn't the uh, the uh, director of public prosecutors now also the leader of the opposition? <clears throat> Yes,
0: yes he is, Sir S. Starmer. Um, funny that, isn't it? Um, and, you know, as Jonty points out in the chat, Canada, you know, the Highway of Tears, ind- indigenous people being murdered. RJ wrote a fantastic piece of, on his site, Super GT World, talking about that Japan, a country that is perceived, you know, to be, um, to, you know, to be quite quiet politically has had... Right-wing politics creep up in their back end of the woods, and people rot and people take into the streets because a Kurdish man was gunned down innocently in their country. You know, it. it everybody can relate to something like this on a level in their own, in their own country or in their own four walls. And this is not a trend, and I, I, I cannot, I cannot stress this enough. This right, what we're seeing right now is the easy part. This is the bare minimum you need, I would argue, to be considered an even half decent human being. What's going to happen in three months' time? When what's going to happen in? Yeah, that was RJ, thanks, thanks, correcting. It was beaten up, not not gunned down. Thanks for the clarification, RJ. Appreciate it. Um, but what's going to happen in three months' time? What's going to happen in six months' time? What's going to happen in a year's time? Because this will happen again. Yeah, I have no doubt in my mind that more innocent black men or people of color will be gunned down in the streets in the US. There'll be more stories of police brutality in the UK. We were talking about a video that went viral last week here about an innocent black guy that was at a police station cornered by two cops and tased in front of his child. His child was seeing his dad on the floor being tased. And everybody tweeted the Met Police, what are you going to do about this? Radio silence nothing to take away from it is that this is not going to go away anytime soon and please when these issues come up attack them with the same vitriol that you're doing right now because if you ease up on this we're going to be re- we're going to be redoing this whole thing in a year's time and it's going to be even more frustrating people are going to be even angrier there's going to be even more rage as to why we're having the same conversations we were having a year ago, two years ago, four years ago, fifteen years ago, twenty years ago, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. because these incidents don't go away, yeah. and and the list gets longer and longer, and it gets more and more painful the more I look at it. And I said it on my I said it on my video yesterday. Being anti racist shouldn't be deemed controversial. Not in the slightest. And yet in this space, it is. Why? And I don't and I don't know and I I wonder what people's answer to that question is. That's what I would find more intriguing than anything else.
1: So, Dre. There's there's something that I've only told a small group of people. You aren't one of them. And it actually happened. During the time Motorsport 101's been on the air, actually. During, like, Hmm. the very early days of the show. Right. Uh, You remember back, it was, like, late 2015, 2016, with the riots in Baltimore. Right. I was involved in those.
0: Holy fuck, yeah. I, I I
1: wasn't there personally, but... Right. Uh my roommate at the time was from Baltimore. Uh yes, Jordan. Yes. He's, yes, he's Jordan. you have you know you've interacted with him briefly a couple times you made small cameos on the show.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, 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 we still follow each other. Like I, I still tweet him every once in a while. Yeah. And
1: Ugh oh, so geez. yeah, after the death of Freddie Gray back which is 5 years ago now. Uh, even
0: five years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah. R- riots broke r- broke out across the city of Baltimore, and obviously there were peaceful protests and people, you know, out rioting, and obviously there's a lot of disorganization in moments like those, and uh, a lot of people want to know where you know the police are and where the rioters aren't, so they could, you know peacefully confront the police without them getting violent so what i did was through uh i think there was like a live thread on reddit at the time like the live feature was very new uh people were posting a lot of information so basically uh through eyewitness accounts on twitter and instagram and listening in on police scanners i was able to correlate live map data and put it into an updating google maps file that was distributed publicly so people could protest peacefully and safe safely away from rioters
0: wow i never knew you went that far with it that's that's that is terrifying to even consider You've got to go to such trouble just to tell these guys, look, this is where you can safely protest. That's... That's chilling, to, to, to say the least.
1: And, like, obviously, because it's publicly available, people knew where the police were. So, people who, you know, didn't have the best intentions or wanted to cause disturbances, so, like, uh, during that time period, obviously, it was during the baseball season, And famously, uh, the police protected the ballpark and the Inner Harbor. And obviously, initially, no one was, you know, coming to confrontation with them. No one's going, like, all the way to a tourist area to, you know, protest or cause trouble. But people noticed the location on the map, went there, and it got so bad that Major League Baseball had to play a game behind closed doors. Jesus Christ! Jesus Christ! And you were essentially responsible for that. Not entirely. Not entirely.
0: Not, not, entirely. What, not, not directly, <laughs> but certainly played an element in it. That's, as Zoe points out, it says, Goddamn King, that's incredible that you're able to organize that and horrifying that you had to. Could you imagine what could have happened if you didn't have that around?
1: Uh, ooh, Probably. Honestly, the prot- protests would have gotten worse because everyone would have probably congregated in one area which happened in Minneapolis where everyone went to Lake Street and ended up you know burning down the police precinct
0: God only knows what could have happened that's just it's insane in in the worst possible sense i just oh man
1: yeah, I didn't realize,
0: King, that you that you, that you were you were that deep in the trenches, if you know what I mean. It's well, just... like
1: obviously, I was posting it anonymously, and I didn't know how big of a deal it was till after the fact when people were referencing referencing that Google Maps file. Uh, obviously, people edited it, removed the police position, so it looked like I was only mapping out where like riots were. Uh, right and obviously i didn't want to say anything because i was receiving threats on this private of account of uh, course and Be your safety and because i was listening into police scanners there was the threat of legal repercussions and didn't want to say <laughs> that's
0: that's that's that, I, I, i'm I'm not speechless very often but that's that's crazy consider that yeah as yeah. John T points out in the chat is it safe to say you 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 probably saved lives king yeah i i, I don't I don't say that you loosely it's it's
1: oh. <sighs> So yeah, we still have questions to answer. Oh man. <laughs> okay, so I think this is one one of the first questions we got actually, but we decided I, you know, we decided, hey, let's ease into this before we get to this question. Sure. Uh, so the question in full uh, is: the desegregation, not in a legal sense, but in terms of just where people of different ethnic backgrounds live in a lot of major cities, necessary or desirable in affecting long-term change on racial justice. So basically, I think, you know, boiling this question down to its base elements, you know, do you think that there would be, you know, positive change for racial justice if, you know, Mm. people of different backgrounds just interacted on a day-to-day ba- on a day-to-day basis, more with each other.
0: I'd like to think it would help. Um, it's, it's crazy because I, I used to, I used to work in a, in a convenience store called Matalan in the UK. You'll know what I'm talking about here. Um, and I was in the warehouse for a good chunk of the five years I worked for him, and like I was in the warehouse, and that really was a melting pot, and if one of my favorite people in there was a man called eugene he was a ukrainian immigrant and you know he taught me some sambo you know he was a great guy you know i mean he, he was he he was in the uk because he was sending money back home to support his wife and and young child i think he's had a two-year-old boy back then at the time when i met him and i learned so much about his country and and the struggles of immigration and coming away from from war and, and, and and terror through people like that. And yeah, like I, I think it can only be a net, a, 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 a net positive. If people actually sat down more often than talked to people from different walks of life. And unfortunately the way socially these places are structured is often a limitation in that. I, if you want two walk-in examples for me, as a, as someone from as as black and someone from England, and someone if the guys don't know, I'm I'm from I'm from the city of London on the west hands on the west side of London. Um, one the London Olympics, we hosted the Olympics in 2012, and that was the most incredible sporting event I could ever witness. And London, which was already in a city that had incredible multiculturalism in it everybody from from every country you can think of was in the Olympic Park was in the social areas and they were all just happy to be rooting for their people in sport and you know we learned off each other's cultures we were all there for one common cause and that was to cheer for our for our nations and to to enjoy that whole event it brought people together it was awesome like it it was the happiest i felt as a londoner maybe ever was 2012 during the olympics because we all just came together and had a bloody great big party for a month and it was fucking awesome and it created shows like the last leg which did a brilliant job of of initially at least of shining an eye on on talking about the Paralympics and disability in sport, and that, the last leg's gone on to win awards for it, for celebrating diversity. It came off the London 2012 Paralympic Games. A lot of people have forgotten that because it's been on the air now for for nearly eight years, but it started out as a show laughing at the Paralympics, (laughs) which, again, a lot of people probably felt uncomfortable doing until that show came along. It broke the walls down because its main host, Adam Hills, is disabled. He's a, he's a, he's 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 lost his leg, and Alex Brooker was was born without limbs and his on his major extremities, and that's what part of what made it so funny because it broke down walls. And the other element uh, of that, at least as far as I'm concerned, is London. I, I've often nicknamed it two Londons because culturally, the money dictates where people live. And if anyone's lives in London, like me, they'll notice that there's housing projects everywhere now. Everybody's building houses. And, a lot, of, and it's a lot of it is houses that we can't afford. You know, people that are trying to get on the ladder can't afford. These are, these are like one-bedroom flats that cost 300 grand. Like <laughs> me, a guy that's on 25 grand a year, that's never going to fucking happen. I'm never going to end up working there. You know? You know, you're all living there because they're gonna want a twenty percent deposit. Like, what twenty-eight year old is gonna have fifty grand in the bank? No chance. You know, so you know that it's only gonna be rich people, which tend to be white, or people that have that are people that are rich coming to the country and just taking the land away, and you know, and, and just sitting there and renting out forever. Rich bastard comes along and, and takes it. You know, so, and then you've got. Those big new housing projects, encouraging people that are rich to come and in, to come along and live there, and then on the other side of the coin, you got the ones that have been neglected, where quote the poor people live, and mm. that, that can be hard, and, and and that's certainly a case in London. I don't know what it's like in other cities worldwide, but there's absolutely
1: New York. Well, New York and most of the United States is unfortunately very much like that, due right to Uh, how do I, well, the practice is now termed redlining. That it was a systematic effort that ended up segregating every major city in America. And Mm. pretty much, like, kind of described in New York terms, most of the people, like, most people kind of have an idea of, like, the ethnic neighborhoods in New York City, whether it be Chinatown, Koreatown, Little Italy, or like, you know, way back, which now no longer exists, uh, Klein Deutschland or Little Germany. Mm. uh, Pretty much like a lot of those neighborhoods, you know, it was uh, a lot more mixed in terms of, wealth in those neighborhoods and uh pretty much most of the ethnic neighborhoods got wiped out during the great depression and right not because of the depression itself but the new deal afterwards mm. so basically uh president roosevelt uh and the rest of the federal government realized that Massive home foreclosure was going to be a problem, and the federal government right. had to do what they needed to prevent as many foreclosures as possible. But to do that, they needed to map out every neighborhood in terms of who was most to least likely to default on their mortgage, and right. uh, pretty much every neighborhood was rated from uh, you know least likely to most likely. I mean and the most likely to default, those neighborhoods were outlined in red. And usually uh, those neighborhoods were the poorest neighborhoods and most often black neighborhoods. Of and course. pretty much those neighborhoods were denied federal mortgage restructuring from the government. So when you move out of the nineteen thirties through the world, through the Second World War to the fifties and then the sixties, you end up in a situation where, all throughout most of the suburbs and affluent white neighborhoods, everyone eventually, you know, got to, got through their very generous mortgage and now own their homes, which they now pass down to their uh, children who were born during the baby boom, while yeah, it in, well, while in black neighborhoods everyone rented and had nothing to pass down
0: right and yeah they, they stay broke yeah and yeah that i didn't realize that was part of the system in, in in over there um and i was gonna make this point um that the chat made it for me that if you want one walking example of desegregation gentrification and racial justice grenville tower anyone uh, but this week is three weeks is three years to the week since that tower burned down, and the victims of that still have not been rehoused, and uh, it's one of the biggest black marks this city's ever known, as far as I'm concerned. And it's 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 still horrific to hear about when you realise that five thousand pounds to have fireproof cladding could have saved all of their lives, or at least the vast majority of them. And I, I still state to this day the biggest the the biggest lie that they, the, the the government's ever been able to get away with is by telling me that only seventy two people died that day. Bullshit, as far as I'm concerned. And yeah, yeah. It, again, in a, in a perfect world, I think just getting to talk to people and sit down on a on a, on a on a grassroots level to sit down and talk about this. Would make it easier for everybody to understand but a lot of a lot of discussion about it boils down to us against them the haves versus the have-nots and the have-nots are never going to win that fight alone you know and you, you can boil it down to a lot of things on, on that but
1: yeah it's kind yeah. of like while we still have this housing situation you know a very similar one here in New York We've had, hadn't Mm. had a tragedy like that. And I probably live down the street from the anti-Grenfell where, uh, I live down the street from Co-op City, which is the Mm. largest, uh, cooperatively, cooperatively owned housing development in the world where it was a massive public affordable housing project built by the union of textile workers uh Mm. and it's still like the union doesn't really exist anymore but like it's still uh it's still affordable housing where you're allowed to buy a unit where you're allowed to apply and and buy a housing unit if your income falls within a certain bracket and if you live and while you're living there if your income goes above the bracket I think within a year or two, you're obligated to sell it. If you, if you know, your income goes Christ. too high, it is, it is, it is truly affordable housing in all intents and purposes.
0: Right. That just doesn't exist in the UK. That is especially in London. Like every, that's the thing about living in London, everywhere outside of it is millions of times cheaper. Like, Three hundred grand would get you like a decent four-bedroom house, almost anywhere else in the country. In London, it might get you a one-bedroom studio flat. Like the game is rigged, and like I'll, I'll happily say on a person, on, a, on a, I'll say on a personal level that I'm gonna have to get to a point at some point, that unless my mum or my sister ever move out, or unless you know maybe the right girl comes along and we can maybe chip in together. Probably not going to happen. But hey, ladies, if you're watching, I am single. Um, <laughs> but unless that ever happens, and let's be honest here, the odds are unlikely, I'm going to have to move out of London to be able to have my own place. And I don't want to do that because everything like, – I've lived in West London my entire life. I was born in Wembley. I moved to Southall when I was 10. I don't want to have to do that. And yet I know that thought is ringing on the back of my head, especially now that I know, look, I'm nearer to and I am 20 now and quite deep along the road towards turning 30. And that thought terrifies me. I'm 28 in August. And, and that is a big part of it because, you know, a lot of people follow the money and, and yeah, it's like, it, it has major implications on everything in society. Like, like where you live, who you talk to, what's in your neighborhood, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and a lot of it is built around the concept of keeping poor people broke. And yeah,
1: like it's it's not a race issue at that point. It's it's an everyone issue to have an affordable yeah. place to live.
0: Yeah. And uh, yeah, in London, that is at this point virtually impossible. And that makes me sad. <clears throat>
1: yeah and it's it's kind of also you know leaning into you know other recent issues about you know we're reaching you know unpre- well here in the US we're reaching well not unprecedented unprecedented and <laughs> unprecedented levels of wealth inequality but like inequality we haven't seen since the 20s which I I don't care how popular culture paints the 1920s of, you know, alcohol being illegal and everyone going to speakeasies. For a lot of people, it wasn't that nice. For a lot of people, the Great Depression didn't start when the stock market crashed. It already started years before that.
0: Right. Ugh, dear. do Do we have any more questions, gang?
1: Uh, I think we've gotten through all the questions. Well, I've got one
0: more real quick and it's a nice way of actually wrapping this all up. Because, And you might remember the name, King. It's an old friend of ours. Do you remember George Mullen?
1: Oh, yeah, I remember Mullen.
0: Yeah, he's on Twitter anymore, bless his heart. But uh, Mullen's one of the good boys. George, I don't know if you're watching or if you're out there, man. I miss you. Talk, say hi more often, you old bastard. Um, But uh he sent me a message on Instagram and, uh, I, I, I don't think i, I don't think you would mind if i use his name so apologies for that for <laughs> only that, person
1: that. who's getting their identity revealed tonight
0: <laughs> whoops um <laughs> forgive me on that one mother but um oh, i was gonna say, if you if you see if you see this and you get the chance to answer doing more or doing better has been thrown around a the lot these few days are there any resources you'd personally recommend to help understand the bigger picture especially out of Twitter for me personally. Now, thankfully, this has been one of the genuinely good things about social media in this downtime is that a lot of people have passed links around. Um, There's one on the bio of my video I put out yesterday. It's a great group site that, you know, leads a lot of places where you can call up, you know, call up your locals, your local senator, you call, call your representative. Basically, you can donate for Places like bail bonds to help people get out of prison that have been, you know, obviously incarcerated during these, during these protests. Places so you can educate yourself on, on as to why we've gotten to this point and why, you know, so many Black people in communities have spoken out. Like, do do some googling is the best advice I can give you. And I mean, I, and I don't mean that in a dismissive sense. I mean it in the sense of there's a lot of people that have put links out there. Instagram's been, has been a genuinely and until everybody started posting black squares of the hashtag black Life, which ended up taking away a lot of information. Before then, a lot of people did a very, very good job on putting on stories and posts places that do carry this sort of information. So, do I would I, I don't mean this in a, in a dismissive sense, but do a little bit of homework on it, and I'm sure you will absolutely find places that can help out. And I will make an effort on my end, at least on social media here, to promote places that can help out, even if you're in the UK like 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 we are, because we we can do our bit here, we can still donate, we can still email people, we can still you know, spread the word I mean, there was thousands of people at, 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 down at Trafalgar Square protesting yesterday and that was awesome. Well, it will be awesome until the government inevitably finds the way of blaming that for the second wave of COVID-19 we're about to get. Hooray! But, uh, fucking pricks. Anyway, <laughs> but, uh, but like there are great places for it. Like, again, just like I would say, just do the rounds in the best place I can give you on that one. And you, you, I guarantee it won't take you too far long. There's a link if you want to see the video I made yesterday in the description of it. There is a great link. There's a very good community link that will take you to everywhere where you need to go. Um, so go from there and you know and actually rj just put it in the chat as well even better that's a that's a great help thanks for that rj much appreciated it's a great place to to to, to start where that's concerned um please do if you can and yeah of course like educate yourself but what i would always say is on a, on a personal level is just just don't don't let up is, is the advice i would tell people don't don't ease up on this. If you truly care about it, you will keep pushing and you will keep shouting this out. Just because i said, this is not a fad. This is not a trend. The only way we're ever going to get anywhere on on elements like this is if we keep pushing and that's world. And that is worldwide. You know, that goes to everywhere. Um, So, you know, do your bit. We all can. And, don't hop off the wagon when, when, when the smoke dies down in a month's time, because this is this is going to keep coming up.
1: Yeah, um, it's, it's, it's going to be a learning process for everyone. There's there's no harm in always trying to get a better understanding of the situation. And of you might have to realize that, hey, maybe you made some mistakes in the past, but you, as long as you're open to realize you made a mistake, you're on the right path
0: of course, and I know people that have DM'd me that didn't carry themselves in the best of senses um, when this initially started, that have since opened their eyes and realised that the problem is going to be. I'm not going to name these people by name, but you know, I've always said, and I will always say, that knowledge is always best shared. And shared knowledge is what's going to make the difference on elements like this, and just don't make this a one-time thing is what i
1: would say to people
0: more than anything else okay
1: and it it feels awkward to say but you know we do have a podcast about motorsport and it'll probably (laughs) not be the last time we talk about social issues because we do talk about it on the show
0: (laughs) (laughs) we do indeed and we've done it on multiple occasions we are we do not stick to sports on Motorsport 101. We are very proud of not sticking to sports on Motorsport 101. We have tackled socialists. We have spoken about social issues and we will continue to do that because we believe that is our duty with the platform that we have to do that. There is a big wide world beyond motorsport that we think we can make a difference on. And that is why tonight happened. and should I wrap this up, King? Does that sound nice if I wrap this up now? Yeah. Yeah. We do have a podcast. You know, we if if you do if you like the cut of our jibs tonight, if you're new to if you're new to us and you're watching us for the first time, we do not shut up and drive, but we like talking about cars and bikes too. It helps every once in a while. Um you can find us right here. You can find us on Facebook, Motorsport 101, you can find us on Twitter at Harrison101HD, at Ryan Eric King. Uh, we have, we've also got RJ RJ O'Connell. Follow him on Twitter. We've also got Cam C. Buckley 917. Follow him on there. Follow Zoe at we Zoe. It's exactly how you think it is with a Scottish accent. Um, those are the main five. Oh, and Chris De hardy as well, of course. I've got Chris the Hardy There's the main six of us as hosts. You can find us all on our page uh, at Motorsport underscore 101 on Twitter if you want to talk to us more on there. And as guilty as it sounds to plug now we are on patreon if you really really like the cut of our jib and you want to help us financially with money we are on patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 five dollars gets you early access to all of our shows ten dollars gets you in the supporters club of our discord server where you can listen to these shows live as they go out I, honestly, if you want to leave it another month and donate to 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 some you know, a, a bond site or anything like that, please do for this month. We're not yes. that important. Yes. We're, not We're not going away. Give, give it a month, okay? You you have my, my permission, <laughs> you know. Um, and and like I said, like I you know, by all means, thank you all for showing up tonight. It's been the most watched stream we've ever done, and I'm very very glad that it is. Thank you to Everyone that has sent in questions um, Thank you To everyone that has spread the word I've got, We've had messages And words out the wazoo My Twitter mentions have lit up Like a Christmas tree um, Big thanks to Chain Bear as well That plugged us, I know he's massive um, on, on YouTube and, and Chain Bear retweeted us multiple times So shout out to Stuart on that as well Because he doesn't really know me very well Doesn't know us all that well But he's been a, he's been a fantastic help um so big thanks to him and thanks to all of you for for hearing us out and for giving us your time and and especially in a, a difficult time especially in a busy time especially in a time of a time of difficulty and despite all of that you've given us god two and a half plus hours of talking about Difficult shit to say the least. This is, I said it to King before we went in. This is the hardest show that I've ever had to do in the God, maybe 12 years I've been making videos in, in some capacity. And in, in the God, it's coming up to bloody six years now since Motorsport oh 101 started. It's been five and a half years.
1: Considering how we started Motorsport 101, you saying that this is one of the hardest episodes we've ever had to do is a very high bar.
0: Oh, there's been some shit over the years. Trust me. <laughs> This might take the cake. Um, it, it's been five and it's, it's over five and a half years we've been doing this now. Our first show was October 2014, and we're coming up to our sixth anniversary in four months' time, which is just insane to even consider. But massive, massive thank you to everybody that tuned in. Um, yeah, it's 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 crazy. Like I said, we, talk, we talked about a loss of life last year, RJ, and that, yeah, that that's, that says it all. Like we've had. We've had our fair shares on Twitter, but all I, all I can hope, and I think Kingwall will back me up on this, all we can hope is that you've taken a little bit of education and time away from this and that, you know, you can you can keep going forward and just taking, and just a little bit of knowledge, a little bit of, of scepticism taken away, a little bit of the wall coming down, and hopefully going forward more of us can be on the same page because that's ultimately what will make the difference in the grand scheme of things. So Thank you all so much for watching, for listening, and yeah, uh, I wish you guys all the best. Stay safe out there, um, of, of course, because again, easy to forget, we're in a global pandemic too. Yeah, Jesus. we're
1: in a global pandemic, and people are still going out there protesting. If if you you know decide that you're going to go out there, stay safe, remember where you're going, always have a way to get out, and protect yourself.
0: Indeed. Protect yourself and and each other. Thank you all so much for listening. We'll catch you guys on Twitter. We'll catch you on the flip side and we'll be back with the show itself where all good podcasts are available. Maybe a little, maybe a little uh, Again, stay tuned to us. Stay tuned to our social media for more on that. That'll do for tonight. I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Ryan Eric King. Thank you so much for watching and we'll hope to talk to you guys soon. Sayonara.
1: Bye.